This is a podcast from Bodies of Data, intersecting medical and digital humanities. This Irish Humanities Alliance conference, a collaboration with University College Dublin and Dublin Institute of Technology, took place in the Royal Irish Academy and in the UCD Humanities Institute on the 22nd and 23rd of November 2018. The conference addressed the emerging discipline of the medical humanities at the intersection between arts and humanities and the biomedicine which explores the social, historical and cultural dimensions to medicine. Podcasting of the conference was by Real Smart Media. In this podcast, The Data Double, a paper by Daniel Webster from Queen's University, Belfast. Hello, my name is Dan Webster and I'm a PhD student at Queen's University, Belfast and I'm going to talk to you for about 15 minutes today on my master's project from a few years ago called The Data Double. And I want to start by talking about this guy, Fyodor Dostoevsky, who wrote a book called The Double, in which the protagonist, Goliadkin, encounters his double, who is in all appearances identical to himself. The double attempts to take over Goliadkin's life and eventually becomes more successful and respected than him. The presence of this perfect double, however, becomes unbearable for poor Goliadkin, and the novel ends with him descending into an irreconcilable madness. And so today, as I present my project to you, we're also in the presence of our very own doubles. Unlike Dostoevsky's, however, ours are not made of flesh and bone, but are rather constructed from data, data which grows as we increasingly click, view, like, and share our way through life, leaving a growing number of traces abstracted from our presence in the world that can be stored in servers and databases. And as we live through a period where the spaces around us are ingrained with a ubiquitous and pervasive computing, the real-time mixing and matching of this data with other data sets becomes more and more possible, ranging from our social media profiles, our healthcare records, shopping histories and geolocation datas, all sortable in a way that allows an electronic profile compiled from personal data fragments to be created, what is also known as a data double. And if we take a closer look at this data double, we can see that it now affects us in invisible yet profound ways, from those annoying adverts that follow around the internet, to defining credit scores, determining prison sentences, and even deciding whether you can enter a country or not for our biometric passport data. So the data double, as the data double slips beyond our screens and into our daily lives, we find ourselves in a situation akin to Goliadkin, based with a double who is both of us and not of us, with us but without us, beside us yet beyond us, an existence which draws our very own into question. And in my project, I set out to find my own data double to understand its role in my life and to do this I submitted various requests such as the freedom of information request and subject, a subject access requests in order to access the data held on me from specific sites, namely my Facebook profile data, my Google search history and anything associated with my student smart card at Queen's. And what I got back were files for a year's worth of interactions with those sites inside of which were data, lots and lots of data. In fact, what equated to around 8,000 A4 sheets of paper, which I analysed and also spoke to various people in digital marketing agencies and at Queen's University who all manage personal data in order to try and establish three things. What exactly the data double is beyond just a set of data, how the data double is created and where the data double can be found. And I initially looked at what exactly the data double is and I spoke to the Information Compliance Unit, or ICU, at Queen's, who manage all the personal data for individual students, such as the data I'd requested from my smart card. 
and asked them what they thought about the freedom of information request, which they ultimately saw as creating an openness and transparency and fairness for everyone. And this word transparency really gripped me, because here it was being equated to other words like openness and fairness. It seemed to conjure the idea of a flattening, transparency as a way of seeing the world as equal and fair, but flattened between who exactly? Between myself and other people? Between myself and the university? I wasn't sure, so I asked who else my data was made available to, and I was given a list of 20 different bodies and groups, including financial organisations, security organisations and landlords, which when asked if I'm able to access information about these groups and people, the conversation changed, the language shifted as I was made aware that we're all protected by the framework that the legislation provides, which meant in the space of minutes, my data had traversed from being open and transparent and fair to being protected within a constructed framework that is provided to us. My data could be both open and transparent, yet simultaneously closed and protected, depending on who, when and where you are. By way of example, when I gained access to my smart card data, it came in the form of an Excel spreadsheet and included information such as the date and time of university buildings and doors I'd scanned in and out of. It presented an uncanny numerical reality of my presence at university through the columns and the rows of a spreadsheet. And I found out that I wasn't the only person interested in this data, as the university management had started to match up this login data from smart cards and are trying to establish whether there's a connection between time spent in the library and grades and that if all students getting a first are spending 10 or more hours in the library a week, they can make recommendations to people not meeting those grades. Which, in all honesty, left me a little bit surprised, because my personal data was being accessed here as an open and transparent resource, yet it was being stored and used by the university to privately influence a wider group of students without my knowledge. Data on my movement about the university was being used as a form of governmentality, where the implications of my individual actions go way beyond myself and into influencing the lives of other people, far exceeding the simple gesture of scanning a card. And by being, able to, being available to 20 different bodies and groups, the prospect of governmentality doesn't just lie with a single authority, but stretches through a complex and fragmented network of no, multiple unknown actors, all with their own desires and own aims which remain completely unknown to me. Therefore, transparency as a term is not all it seems to be, offering a world of openness and fairness, perhaps, but in a way that theorist Rachel Hall sees as turning the world or the body inside out, such that there would no longer be any secrets or interiors. So within a world seeking transparency, our internal lives and privacy no longer compute and must be externalised in order to be known as open and fair. However, when things are turned inside out, interiors are not destroyed but created anew, and this is where this notion of transparency becomes problematic, because these new interiors are actually new spaces of privacy that are being constructed around my data, not just for me, but for a variety of different organisations, businesses and people outside of my control, so that transparency itself becomes not a way of seeing the world, but rather a delusion statement, a performative act in the world that allows for the arrangement of elements in it. In other words, transparency allows my private and personal information to become externalised and accessible as data, but then internalised and protected away into the servers and databases of multiplying organisations and people under notions of privacy. My data double is therefore more than just a collection of data or a way of being seen as data. Rather, my data double is a space of negotiating privacy within a statement of transparency, not an observation of me, but an emergent representation of me, whose role is subtly being negotiated away from my control along with a sense of privacy that is able to protect myself and other ordinary people 
from asymmetric attempts at governmentality, influence and scrutiny. The second area I looked into was how the data double is created, and I started off by looking at Sigmund Freud, whose concept of the double understands it as a means of dividing and interchanging the self, a way for us to create alternate versions and representations of ourselves that become manifest in an external object, which Freud describes as a dummy or a doll. Freud saw this projection of the self into the double as a way for our egos to create an insurance against destruction, a duplicate able to live alongside us, deflecting our material temporality and becoming an energetic denial of the power of death. When I looked at my smart card data, I was told that its existence at Queen's has a time frame, a period of time that this data is kept for that extends to six years beyond me leaving the university. When I looked at my Google search data, I became aware that this is kept for two years before being anonymized and used indefinitely. And lastly, my Facebook data seems to be kept forever. And I even have the option of a legacy contact who can manage my profile beyond my death, meaning my associated data has a time frame that may outlast me. My data double then, manifest in profiles and histories and databases, becomes like Freud's doll, an externalized projection that becomes an insurance against destruction it presents a desirable version that sits apart from me, able to grow, adapt, and live forever, a vision of digital immortality. However, Freud explained that when we grow out of our youth, the double transitions from an object of desire to one of anxiety as we confront an uncanny and alienated image of ourselves, at once familiar, yet somehow different to us, immortal and other. The double transitions into a vision of terror, something unattainable and unreal no longer a denial of death, but a constant and ghastly harboring of it. And our data double follows a similar process. My cursor blinked over the datafied movements I'd made at Queen's, eternalized memories that my mortal brain cannot remember. Facebook likes and shares are transformed into scores to pursue a material social status with, and an ever-growing bank of photos stare back at us needing to be filtered, improved, shared, and compared. Our online doubles are thus aspirational selves, Versions of the lives we wish to be living, a site of both desire and anxiety, but something that goes way beyond Freud's singular notion of a double. Instead, we're encountering a double that is split across multiple profiles, accounts and screens. Our data double is not individual, but rather what Deleuze describes as dividual. Its existence, a set of masses, samples and data, endlessly divisible through modern technologies. My smart card data from Queens, for example, appears as an individual Excel file, but in reality is a carefully managed and produced assemblage of data from at least seven different sources that took a couple of weeks to compile. So my data double is not something whole, but something multiple that has been stitched back together, an assemblage of different aspects of me made to appear unified, something created by multiple unknown organizations, their data managers, and increasingly their algorithms. In my interviews with some of these managers, they very much saw themselves as the readers of data and manipulators of data. So my data double is not only a type of Freudian desire to externalize an image of myself into profiles and devices, but it's also the product of desire of unknown organizations who wish to read and manipulate that data in order to know and control it. So my data double becomes a complex meeting of desires, a production between myself who creates it and those organisations who can privatise it, read it and manipulate it for huge and possibly unending timeframes. My relationship with my data double therefore presents the datafied legacies of me that can be assembled, multiplied and produced on demand, emergent productions made beyond myself, beyond my timeframe and increasingly beyond my control. The final aspect of the data double I looked at was where the data double can be found. 
And I returned to my conversations with the data team at Queen's where I asked who owns this data about me, to which I was told that I own my data but I give Queen's permission to use it because there's always a bit of law or a box you have to tick. And these tick boxes are indeed becoming wearingly prevalent in our lives. And often the reason people click yes is not that they understand what they're doing, but that it's the only viable option. And what happens when we tick those boxes is that we're handing over permission and ownership of that data to someone else. And this can be seen as a form of what sociologist Michel Callan terms translation, a process of change we normally associate with language. And something I saw at Queen's where their data protection policy was going through various different versions until the right one had been decided upon that was able to break down the existing document a bit more and put it in layman's terms. And Callan saw that translation can also apply to groups of people whereby multiple people with different voices and opinions can elect one person or thing that can take charge and become a spokesperson for all those multiple voices. Thus one document... Sorry. Thus one document translating the many into one. One opinion, one spokesperson. Sorry, that was in wrong order. Um, but one spokesperson. But the outcome of this is that you also limit your choice. Now funneled into a smaller set of options. For example, at Queen's, I turned to a specific data manager, of which there's just one. One person elected to represent all of the data at Queen's. But this person doesn't make decisions on their own, but makes them within the framework that the legislation provides shifting their ability to make decisions from one of subjective choice to one of objective calculation, made within the rules and limits provided by the legislation, so that a process of translation is occurring that is delegating decisions and choices from myself and also the data managers I deal with, so that our combined options are increasingly narrowed down into a series of next steps, checklists and tick boxes that are provided to us, with some organisations such as Facebook and Google taking it even further so that by mere use of their services you are trusting them with your information. More and more the agents we deal with around our data are no longer human managers, but automated and calculative algorithms that further restrict and constrain our choices to those that are constructed and provided to us, while the human agents, our online profiles and multiple devices become mere interfaces to a guiding and machinic framework. And this is ultimately where my data double can be found, within the framework that the legislation provides, within a constructed environment set up to control, allowing those who own the frameworks, own the algorithms and write the legislations to ultimately control the data and by proxy control my voice, manipulate our choices and maybe even influence collective decisions. So in conclusion, our data doubles are complex assemblages of intertwined desires that negotiate in spaces that translate notions of privacy so that multiple organisations can defer us to a framework of their design and subtly take our information and data out of our own control in order to manipulate, influence and re-establish it under their own. I ended my work at Queen's with an interviewee telling me that people tend not to think of themselves as data. And so I believe we need to begin working towards new ideas, new visions and new tools if we're going to combat this growing alienation and try and reconnect ourselves with our data and see it as a part of who we are, not just something separate, but something that now appears integral to, her, to us, perhaps something we should start to care for. And I guess my question here today is, how does our health data fit into this view? Not only our medical records, but the increasing quantification of our steps taken, calories consumed and hearts beat, as well as the expansion of organisations such as Amazon and Google into buying, creating and sharing this data. As we become increasingly unentangled from our own bodies through data, we risk ending up like poor Goliadkin, in situations that leave our voices absent 
a choice is forgotten and an agency left in subservience to a perfectible, emergent and controllable double. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Bodies of Data, intersecting medical and digital humanities. This Irish Humanities Alliance Conference, a collaboration with University College Dublin and Dublin Institute of Technology, took place in the Royal Irish Academy and in University College Dublin Humanities Institute on the 22nd and 23rd of November 2018. For more information on the Irish Humanities Alliance, go to irishhumanities.com.